The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. And today we'll be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. So open your Bible or the words will be up on the screen. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Glorious, y'all can be seated. So again, I know we've got some guests. I am Pastor Josh, and I typically always try to remember to pray before my messages, but today I'm really going to pray before the message because we are starting a new series called Identity, looking at some really softball, easy topics like race and sexuality and mental illness and all kinds of fun, and there are landmines all around me at the moment. So we're going to pray that I don't blow off a limb and uh, that God is the one who's doing the talking, not me. I'd invite you guys to pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. You are a God who created each of us uniquely uh, to reflect you. Lord, I pray that in this coming time, that as we engage your scripture, as we see the world and what's happening in it, uh, Lord, through your lens, that we are drawn closer to you, Lord, that we are drawn closer to each other. Uh, Lord, we say that's all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we are starting a series called Identity, and really looking at where do we place our foundational truth of who we are, what we believe, and how we act? And when we were talking through what this looked like, those different topics of things like race and culture, things like sexuality, things like mental illness, things like vocation, the job that we do, the career that we have, how they shape our identity. Today, specifically, we're going to be looking at race and culture, and what does Scripture have to say about this? Because oftentimes, when we look at these very kind of hot-button issues, it can be really easy, you know what, we're just going to stick to a different playground. We're not going to engage in questions that the world's asking. We're going to stick to this very narrow, comfortable spot. 
But what's interesting about Christ is when you read through the Gospels, when you read through the Apostles, they didn't stay in the comfort lane. They were constantly finding ways to engage culture and the questions of culture wherever they were at. So today, it's race and culture that we're specifically talking about. And what role does Christianity have? What does the Bible say about this topic? And we're going to be defining a lot of terms. Not that this is the only way to define something, but just so we're all on the same page. I used the almighty Google for all of these definitions. All right? Race defined is the fact or condition of belonging to a racial division or a group. And how do we define that? Well, by the qualities or the characteristics associated with this. And so by this definition, we would say, well, if your characteristics are you are from Africa and you are black, then that is your race. Or if you're from the Middle East and you have a different skin color, well, then that is your race. You're Middle Eastern or Asian or European or American, right? And we can go through and we can list off, well, what are the qualities What are the characteristics that are going to put you into that bucket, right? And that's how the world defines different races. What's really unique about Scripture, though, is Scripture has a way of defining race, but it's different. It comes from Genesis 1, actually, the very beginning of our story, the beginning of humans. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In Greek, that is the imago deo, the image of God. You want to know what the defining characteristic of humanity is? The unifying force. We're all built in God's image. Literally, all of us have that inside of us. All of us were created to reflect God in a unique way. And so, by that definition, and this is counterintuitive, it's kind of uncomfortable, but in Scripture, there are not multiple races. In God's eyes, he doesn't look down and see, well, I have my African kids, and I have my Asian kids, and I have my Middle Eastern kids, and I have my Texan kids. God looks down, and he says, no, there is one race, not multiple races. There is one human race, and all of us, no matter what our skin color, no matter what language we speak, no matter what background we're from, We are all within that same race. And in fact, when you look at human history, the breakdown of races, the breakdown of languages, that comes from sin. The idea of different races is not God's idea, it's man's idea. And so while there is only one race in Scripture, racism, as defined prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism towards someone of a different race based on a belief that one's own race is superior, this is all over the place, right? And this is not just limited to skin color. This is limited to any sinful person, myself included, where I think I am superior to whoever else that I'm talking to, right? If they have some different characteristic, if they have a different education level than I do, and so I think I'm better than they am. If they don't have as much money as I do, and so I think I am better than them. 
If they come from a different background or a different skin color or a different language, and I think I am better, that my own bucket that I sit in is better than their bucket. That's sin. And that is all over humanity. You see, God created one race. We were the ones who mucked it up. And that is throughout our entire history. And in that, and this is the great tragedy in the world, Germans didn't massacre Jews. It wasn't that the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. It wasn't that the colonists enslaved Africans. Humans massacred humans. Humans bombed other humans in Pearl Harbor. Humans took other humans and enslaved them. That's the great tragedy. We did this to ourselves. We were all meant to be in community together. We were all meant to bring out the best in one another. And sin comes in and destroys it. Because that's all sin does, right? It destroys our relationship to God. It destroys our relationship to each other. It destroys our relationship to the world. To people of different backgrounds. And so when we're first starting off in this conversation of race and culture, starting with the understanding that we're all part of the problem, and again, I am standing in front of you fully aware that I am part of the problem. That's what sin does. But from God's perspective, there aren't multiple races. There's just one humanity. And we're all a part of it. Now... That's different than saying there aren't different cultures, because for sure, there are all kinds of different cultures, right? And those cultures are a bunch of different factors that play into them. Could be where you were born, could be what language you have, could be where you were born on a farm or in the inner city, right? Our skin color does play into our culture, it plays into how we treat others, how we see others, right? Those aspects, cultural differences, those are real. And they're not necessarily good or bad, but they are something that does exist in society. So the question is, well, is there such thing as a Christian culture? And growing up, I was convinced there was, and for a while we really tried hard to create a subculture within Christianity, right? We had our own music, we had our own TV shows, we had our own comic book, Bible Man. It was the worst comic book in the history. If you're going to talk about superheroes, he was so lame, right? And so we looked and we said, is there such thing as a Christian culture? And we've tried throughout our history to create a Christian subculture where we have our own art and our own music and our own passions because in our minds we can get in the heads, well, if we're trying to follow Jesus, if we're trying to create this new community, our community should be distinct, right? And so we start to do that. But what's interesting and what our Bible scripture today was from Acts is it was actually answering this question, is there such thing as a Christian godly culture, right? To get this, though, again, culture defined, it's the customs, it's the arts, it's the language, it's the social institutions, achievements of a particular nation, people, or social group, right? So we got to start off with understanding ancient Israel. Right? So Israel was a nation founded by God. He redeemed the Israelites. He redeemed those who wrestled with God. He brought them out of Egypt. He creates a people of his own. He says, I have rescued you. And now your community 
is going to be distinct. And the way how he makes this community distinct is he gives them the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. And the first half of the Torah is the story of Israel, but the second half of the Torah is literally all of their culture. The things that are going to make them distinct. What food they can eat, when they worship, what kind of clothes they can wear, how families are supposed to interact together. Right? So all the things that make culture, culture, literally is what the Torah is. And God gave them this book, and in fact, he gave them rules with this book. So this comes when he's talking about a food offering, right? And he's saying, this is how you are going to present this food offering to me. He says, you're all going to present it the same way. They must do exactly as you do, he says. And he goes on, and he says, the community is to have the same rules for you and for the foreigner residing among you. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. He says, your culture is supposed to be the same. It is going to be distinct. It is going to be different. And so ancient Israelites, they had this culture from God, and what ends up happening is they start to find their identity in the customs, right? In these things that their community does. And again, this makes sense to me because I have identity. I have customs that I'm familiar with. I like to come to church and hear a certain type of music, right? It's probably different than the music that Pastor Kunkel had at his church when he was, you know, like, it's different. We have customs and we build our identity around that. But what happened, Jesus shows up, he starts it in Israel, but then he starts expanding to the rest of the world, and their customs, their culture was different. And the church had to figure out, well, are we going to have this ancient culture that we have? Are we going to create a new culture, or is culture not going to be the defining aspect of Christianity, right? And so you get this reading from Acts 15, and certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved, right? Now, this is a rather severe custom and cultural aspect of Judaism. And if you are a guy and you're an adult, this is not, this is not an easy on-ramp to faith, right? Like, this is a fairly intimate, personal long-lasting situation. But what, from the Israelites' perspective, what the ancient Jews were saying was, this is what makes our culture, this is how we connect to God. That was intimate to them. And when these new folk were showing up who didn't have that same culture, there was fear, right? That if you don't do this, you can't be saved. If you don't have this cultural truth in your life, you can't connect to God. And this issue literally threatened to split the early church in two. This was literally the first denominational break, right? It's almost happening. You got the two sides saying, we have to worship this way or we have to worship that way. But the apostles come together and this is their decision. And they say, after much discussion, Peter got up and he addressed them. And he says, brothers, do you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from the lips the gospel and believe? See, God knows the heart. He showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he told us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? 
No, we believe it is through grace, our Lord Jesus, that we are saved just as they are. The apostles laid on a marker. And they said, you know what, guys? Our ancient customs, our ancient culture wasn't bad. And in fact, if you want to maintain that, you can. But they laid down the marker, it is not going to be what defines the church. There is not a Christian culture that supersedes others whether it be the ancient Israelite culture or the early Greek culture or the Acts Church Leander culture. It says, guys, that's not meant to separate you from each other and it's certainly not meant to separate you from God. He says, no, what connects us is Christ and Christ alone. It is his work. It is his advocating for us, fighting for us, reaching down from heaven, wrapping his arms around kids who are rebelling actively against him. And saying, I love you, I forgive you, I will die for you. And that is what is going to unite you. Not what type of worship you have. Not whether you dress in a robe as a pastor or flip-flops and shorts. None of that anymore. It's Jesus or bust. Right? Paul goes on and he says this. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, which again, that's their culture, I became like one under the law in their culture. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who are in that culture. To those not having the law, not having that culture, I became like them. Though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having that culture. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I did this all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. Paul says, I will go into any culture, and I will assume that culture. I will go to any length. I will jump into any bucket to show them and tell them the story of Christ. To love them, my neighbor, as myself. To be that witness, that Christ follower, because that's what Jesus did for us. John says, Jesus set up his tent. He tabernacled. He moved in. He came to a bunch of broken kids who didn't have God's culture, Right? And he says, I want to fight for you. I want to live for you. So there is no Christian culture. There isn't one that's better. Whether or not you worship with an organ, or you listen to K-Love, or you listen to ACDC, right? There's no, there isn't this superseding culture within the church. But that's different than the, cult, the church not engaging with culture. Because you see, we are called into the world. Not to be of it in its brokenness and in its sinfulness, but we are called to engage it. So the question is, well, how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, there's, there's two big areas I want to talk about today. The first one is, all right, sorry, you guys know me, Team Jesus for Team Humanity. That's how we're going to categorize this, right? It is the church leaning into what's happening in humanity. And the first and foremost is as Christians, when we engage culture, we defend and fight for those who can't defend and fight for themselves. And this is all throughout Scripture. Old Testament and New Testament. 
But John's, or James says it really clearly. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself being polluted by the world, right? So when you're in the world, he says, don't be polluted by that. Because every culture has some good stuff going for it, and it's got some meh, right? It's got things that aren't of God. He goes, you don't be polluted. But what does he say? Look after orphans and widows. Orphans and widows in Old Testament time and in early New Testament time were the most defenseless population. They couldn't advocate for themselves. They couldn't go to court for themselves. And so Paul or James writes to the early church, fight for them. You see, this is in Isaiah where God says, learn to do good, defend the oppressed, champion the cause of the widow and the orphan. And so as the church, when there are areas where there is a segment of humanity, of the human race that can't fight for themselves, we lean, we lean in and we fight for them. We lean in and say, we want to be in that gap in the same way that Jesus stood in our gap. Right? So we fight for the, uh, the defenseless, but then we're also called to bring out the best in whatever culture we're a part of. Right? And this was literally the story of Jesus, right? In the Gospels, Jesus shows up at the party, and guess what? It's the best party there is. Jesus shows up, and there are people who are hungry, and they're fed. Jesus shows up, and he makes community happen wherever he goes. John says it this way, Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was, the li was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Literally, wherever Jesus went, light showed up. Wherever we go, whatever culture we're engaging with, light should show up. Things should get better. We should be bringing out the best in people and in communities, like Jesus brings out the best in us. And this is hard, right? Because again, we're still all infected with brokenness. So three weeks ago, my dad texted me. And we had been on this text message chain. And I am sure I am the only person here who has different political views than some of their family members, right? So my dad's sending me some stuff. And it started off okay, but he sent something that really struck home with someone that I knew, right? And I found it a offensive, to be quite frankly, and I was angry, and I had righteous indignation, and so me, in my righteous indignation, sent him back the snarkiest text I could think of, right? And I meant to get a, I meant to pop him in the face, and I popped him in the face. And I woke up the next morning, and he had sent me a text message back, an equal level of snark. And I was sitting there looking at the text message, and I kid you not, a thought that crossed my mind was, well, my dad doesn't need to see my future grandchildren. Like, I was ready to, like, separate this out, right? I was like, this is done. I am right. My thought is superior to his thinking. And I have every right to go down this road. And my wife, who is wiser than I am, uh, was like, well, that's an option. Uh, but, but maybe that's not the best option. Right? And so what I had to do was stop sending text messages, call my dad, and say, first and foremost, I'm sorry. You know, I realize what I said hurt you. And while I personally had emotional reaction to the text that you sent me, I should never try to hurt you. Right? That, that's not what God has called me to be. That's not how my God treats me, and so that's not how I'm supposed to treat you. But then, and this was humbling 
I actually had to say, you know what, Dad? When we have these talks about politics, it's not bringing out the best in me, though. I'm not my best person when I am talking to you and debating with you about politics. And I'm not bringing out the best in you when we're talking about politics. So I'm going to ask, can we just stop talking about politics? In this relationship, in this moment in time, I'm not saying forever and ever, amen, but it's not healthy. And so I'm asking for you to, in my weakness here, to say, you know what, I'm not going to engage in this conversation. I want to be in all your other areas of life, but right now, this isn't healthy for me. And you know what? We're sending awesome text messages to one another now, right? Because as Christians, we are called to engage with one another. People who are like us, who are different than us, but we're called to do it differently. Because the world is going to try to break us apart and Christ is the one who comes in and says, I want you to have a relationship first with God. And he goes, and I will go to the cross to make that happen. But then he says, I want you to have a relationship with everyone else too. And the way we do that is different than the way the world does it. The way we engage, the posture with which we engage changes both people we're engaging but ourselves as well. And that can only come from connecting with God. So we're going to do that in a moment. I'm going to invite the band up. Um, they're going to sing a song. We're going to sing the first couple of verses of uh, Jesus, Savior, Pilot Me. Which is literally saying, you know what, God? I need you to be in control of this. Because left to my own devices, my dad won't see my future grandchildren. Right? And we're not pregnant. FYI. Just throwing that out there. Um, but... Like, that's where my sin leaves me, right? Divided, superior then, but disconnected from. What we have is a God who says, no, I have a different way for you. I'll live that different way for you. I'll die for you, but now I'm going to send you out to be those change agents as well. We're going to sing the song, then we're going to go into a time of communion, Lord's Supper, where we actually have union with God, union with each other where he says, I'll break my body for you. I'll shed my blood for you to connect you back to God and to connect you back to each other. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.